Welcome to the Devoted City Church podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit devotedcity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. So this series called Follow is all about uh, our struggle between what the world tells us and what God's word tells us. Jesus was very clear when people asked him, what do I need to do to follow you? Oftentimes that is asked in this way. How do I inherit eternal life? That's what it's been over the last two weeks is people asking, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, eternal life has a dual meaning when you read it in scripture. You may read it and just think, well, that's heaven. That's to make sure I got some fire insurance for after this thing's all over, I can live with God for all eternity. But it meant so much more than that. It wasn't just a promise and a hope of eternity after this life. It was also a full life now. So when you have eternal life, and when they were asking Jesus for eternal life, they understood, I need life now. I need a full life now. And so eternal life is not just a promise for the future. It's a promise for now that gives us hope that gives us direction, that gives us peace in spite of our circumstances. And so when people are asking Jesus, how do I get eternal life? They wanna know how does life be better now and in the future? You know, today there is a huge phenomenon that's going on today. If somebody, if if you get in a car crash or you're in a crowd of people and something bad happens to you, uh, there's a chance no one will do anything except record it right? If you get in a car accident on the way home and you're thrown out of the car and you're laying there bleeding, there may be just as many people standing there doing this so they can get some views later as people getting down with you and saying, how can I help you? Are you okay? What is it about our culture that's gotten to the place where people gawk at needs rather than meet those needs? You just have to do a quick search to see that people have been uh, attacked, a lady attacked on the subway, and people watched. A guy fell over with a heart attack in a store where they were having a big sale, and people just did this, stepped over top of him, and went on to do whatever they were going to do for the day. And as followers of Christ, we can never be the person that just records, turns the, uh, turns the other way, or steps over someone in need. That's what Jesus says to a guy that says, hey, I want eternal life. And what Jesus tells him is, if you want eternal life with me, you're gonna have to learn to serve people for me. It's all recorded in Luke chapter 10, When Jesus is being asked questions by religious leaders, and here's the challenge we have today. It's more of a prayer. It's a prayer and a challenge. We need to say to ourselves, God, give me eyes to see those in need around me. Because our eyes don't always see that. We see our needs. I could tell you my needs right now. But how many needs to go across my vision and I never respond to them? That's what followers of Jesus do. They see needs, 
and they respond. And Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25, where he says, where it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's that question. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. In other words, do this, and you will have eternal life. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, Jesus is answering a question that God already knew the answer to. Because the guy that he's talking to is an expert in the law, meaning the Mosaic law. Those 613 commands that are recorded in the Old Testament. He would have been an expert at those plus all the other commands that the religious leaders came up with to ensure nobody broke the first 613. He would have known all of that. He would have been an expert. Think of somebody that's an expert in a field and how impressive they are when they give their knowledge or when they do their thing they're really good at. That's what this guy was like. He was like a pro football player of the, ex of the law. Like he knew what to do. He was impressive. He was smart. And that's why Jesus says, well, what does the law say? You want to know how to get eternal life? It's right in front of you. See, the first week in this series, the question was, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus' response was, uh, you need to surrender everything you have. Second week, what do I need to do to get eternal life? You need to be born again of the Spirit. Like you have to have this spiritual conversion in your life if you want to have eternal life. And today Jesus is saying, you want to have eternal life, you need to love God and you need to love others. Now, there's a couple different definitions of love floating around the world today. Instead of telling you what it's not, let me tell you what it is. Love is defined by God, not by culture. And love does what's best for people who are receiving the love. I'm thankful that God loved me where I was when I was caught in my sin before I knew Jesus. He did what was best for me. Through his word, he convicted me of my sin. Through words and confrontation of friends, I realized I needed to change. That was love. Love is not affirmation. Love is not agreement. Love is acting and speaking in a way that's beneficial to the receiver, whether they know it or not, feel it or not, or realize it or not, that's what love does. It puts the other person first. So Jesus answered him, here's what you need to do. You need to love God. You need to love others. How do, you all, how do I love others? Like you love yourself. You do it with your heart and you do it with your soul, strength, and your mind. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means everything, but loving God with our heart means the depths of who we are, we love God. The character, the center of who we are, we love God. With all of our soul means all of our emotions, 
Anybody an emotional person? Anybody live with an emotional person? Married to an emotional person? Have one as a kid, as a parent? I thought you did. Emotions, feelings, desires, and affections. Love God with all of that. Love God with all your strength. That's all. That's the force. Whatever amount of strength you have, whatever abilities you have, love God with that. And then love God with your mind. Some of us are a lot intellectually smarter than others. And God says, no matter where you are on the intellectual scale, love God with all of that, all of your mind, all of your understanding. What he says is, love others like you love yourself. So then the guy just says, well, then who's my neighbor? That's a great question. See, his motive was not to love better. His motive was to justify his ungodly attitude. Because in his assumption, there were people that he didn't have to love. Tell me who my neighbor is and I'll love him because there's all these people I don't love. They're not my neighbor. So Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is. And so Jesus tells a story beginning in verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, this is an actual road that runs from the north to the south. It's a real place. I've been there. I've seen it. It's not like a highway road. It's more like a wide dirt path. And it winds through the mountains in the desert. And this is where the guy was when he got attacked. There's a lot of twists and turns and places to hide. And so if somebody was alone and they got attacked, probably no one else saw, and then the robbers could make out back out into the desert without getting caught. So that's what it looked like. It was a great place for robbers. Even today, that road is still called the Red and Bloody Way due to the violence that takes place on it. So Jesus was talking about a real place that really existed where it was easy to get robbed, and that's what happened. And then Jesus once he paints the picture of, there was a guy that was on the road, the red bloody way, and he got robbed. And the robbers left him for dead. And then three people came by and he tells that story. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. So in this story, Jesus is putting uh, the first two are religious people. A priest would have been the person that represented God to people. That's who a priest was. Uh, in a lot of religious traditions, that's still who a priest is today. But biblically, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are born into a priesthood and we are all priests. I didn't make you a priest. Jesus made you a priest when you accepted him and obeyed him. But in their religious culture, there were these priests that were over people just under God. And so it was God, the priest, and then the people. And this holy man comes by and he sees a guy laying there bloodied and beaten and in pain and he walks by on the other side. It's kind of like you'll be on Capitol Boulevard maybe and, and there's gonna be somebody standing there with a sign and the light's gonna go perfect to where they're right there and you're sitting in your car right here. And you, what do you do? 
You just, you don't do anything. You just look forward, right? You don't look around. Now, I'm just giving us a hard time because if you look and make eye contact, they're a person. They're a person in need. Now, I've actually had conversations with those people who have left that lifestyle and they said, please don't ever give money to people. Like if God moves you, of course do it, but it, it doesn't help them move from where they are to where they really need to be. But if God moves you to do it, hand them money, hand them something. You know if God's moving you to do it or not. But most of the time we sit here and we just look forward because I don't have time. I don't have any cash on me. He probably, he probably doesn't take credit card. You know, I probably can't tap to pay. So I'm just gonna look forward and we're gonna be comfortable. Maybe that's what the priest was doing. He was just like, I don't have time for this. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe the priest got uh, swindled before. Maybe he thought the guy was hurting and he went over to help and he himself got robbed. That could happen too. Maybe he just said, look, I did that once and it didn't come out okay for me, so I'm just gonna walk by this time. I was in the Dominican Republic uh, serving this ministry that our, our students were actually there at the time, some of our high school students, and we uh, were uh, staying up on this mountain, beautiful place. Well, we got down in the city and it got dark. So we're coming back up the mountain in the dark and we round this curve on this one lane road and there's a car and a motorcycle and it looked like there had been an accident. And there was a guy laying like under the car, partially out. And so everybody's like, oh, pray for them. Let's stop, let's get out. And the guy from the Dominican said, absolutely not. Nobody gets out of this because if we stop, they're gonna pull out a gun, they're gonna get on this bus and they're gonna take all of our wallets. That's just how it works here. And so we went on by. So maybe the priest had a good reason for moving on by. We're gonna find out the heart of this story as Jesus continues to talk. Then he says a Levite does the same thing. He walks on by. Now a Levite was just below a priest. He was kind of like, uh, maybe not, a, not quite a secretary, but an assistant in the temple underneath the priest. And he did the same thing. So you've got a guy asking how to get eternal life. Jesus telling him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And then the guy said, well, who's my neighbor? And he said, well, let me tell you this story. Let's, let's determine who your neighbor is. So then first, a religious guy goes by, does nothing. Another religious guy goes by, does nothing. And then Jesus says this in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, that was two days' wages, so you're, whatever you make a day, double that, and that's what he said, here, take this, innkeeper, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So he's already into this for two days' wages and whatever time it took to help the guy. So this Samaritan is sacrificing in order to serve someone who is legitimately in need. So far, two days wages, and it might have been more. The priest walked by, the Levite walked by, two religious guys did, just did nothing about it. The Samaritan comes by and it says he took pity. Now that's more than just going, oh, that's too bad. 
That is too bad. Let me, let me help you. It comes from a Greek word uh, that's pronounced splagna. And what it means is he felt it in his gut. He felt it deep in his bowels. And that kind of sounds a little gross for us to talk like that. But what, in that language, when you said, I feel this from the depth of my bowels, would be similar to us saying, I feel this from the depths of my heart. It was just the depths of his being. He saw that guy and said, whatever else I have to do can wait. Whatever money I have in my pocket, I can replenish. I'm going to help this guy. And he felt it deeply and he did it. He saw someone suffering and abused and he felt something. Maybe you felt that feeling too when you see someone suffering. And I think we, we all better feel it when we see children abused. Innocent children, bad things happening to them. It should make us rise up and wanna say, okay, who do I punch in the face to protect these children? That's kind of what is going on with this Samaritan and this guy, he felt it so deeply he had to do something about it. Because of that compassion, he acted. We all have a limit where we see something and our compassion kicks in and we act. Because true compassion will always lead us to action. If, if you just like, oh, that's too bad, and you drive by, that's not compassion. Hey, maybe you felt sorry for somebody. But true compassion for someone or something, it always leads us to action. Now, it was a big deal that Jesus said, the priest did nothing, the Levite did nothing, but the Samaritan did something because he's speaking to a probably 99.9% Jewish audience. Jews and Samaritans were like this. They hated each other. Now, the reason they hated each other is because around 700 or so years before the time of Christ, the nation of Israel was captured by the Assyrians. And what the Assyrians did when they captured Israel, they took some of them back to Assyria. They pulled them out of Jerusalem, and essentially they turned them into Assyrians. They, they educated them in the ways of Assyria, and they became Assyrians. But they were still born a Jew. Well, they grew up, they intermarried with Assyrians. So when you have an Assyrian by birth and a Jew by birth, and they come together and produce a family, the production of that, it's kind of like a labradoodle, right? <laughs> it's like, it's two pure things. And they come together and they make something else. And that's what a Samaritan was. They were considered half-breeds. They were called half-breeds in a derogatory way. And a Jew would have never considered a Samaritan their neighbor and the other way around. There were just more Jews than there were Samaritans, but they would have never considered that. Samaritan was always used in a derogatory sense. In fact, one time there's a discussion going on about Jesus among religious leaders in John 8, verse 48, and listen what they said about Jesus. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? That was two insults that were the lowest of insults you could give to someone if they were professing to be a Jew. They said, Jesus, not only are you a Samaritan, you are possessed of the devil. Remember, Jesus told this story because... 
He wanted to know, well, who is my neighbor? And you got the three responses. First two guys were in a hurry and they ignored it. The last guy took the time, made the investment because he saw and he also felt the need. You know, there's just times that, could you get ripped off at times when you're trying to help people? Of course you can. I've had both happen to me. When, when we lived in another state, I was at our church building once and this guy came in and he needed gas for his car. And I, I, we didn't have like a church credit card to say, here, go get gas. And I gave him my own money and I said, look, I'm gonna give you this. And I said, if you're lying to me and you're not gonna go put gas in your car to get to Texas with your kids like you said you were, and you're gonna do something else with it, God will pay you back. He didn't take the money. He was like, that's okay, man, I'm good, I'm good. And he left without the money. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you just, you just see and you know. You know what I'm talking about? You just see someone and you know that is a legitimate need. They're not just trying to get something to buy drugs or alcohol or do something else with. They really need what they're telling me they need and you take out your money or you give your time and you serve them. See, when it comes to serving people and making a difference in the world, we can't be indifferent because indifferent people never make a difference. You've, you've got to be passionate about helping people in some way, somewhere. See, indifference says things like, well, he knew better than to take that road. It's his fault he got robbed. He can just lay there and bleed. Indifference says, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. Sorry, I'd rather look at your problem than helping you with your problem. And then Jesus asked them a question that they can't even answer fully. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And they couldn't even say the word, the Samaritan. It was clear who was the neighbor, but here's how he responded. The expert in the law replied, probably like this, the one who had mercy on him. And he was probably just deflated, like, okay, I get it, Jesus. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. See, why did Jesus back his questioner into a corner? Because Jesus wanted them to know, the religious leaders of that day and today, this message that I'm preaching is for everyone. No one is excluded. Everyone means everyone. See, to them, everyone meant, well, everybody like me, of course. Yes, that's what everyone means. And Jesus says, you don't get it. Everyone means everyone. He's challenging them to shift from what's important to them to what's important to God. And that's what he does for anybody who comes to know him. We have to shift our thinking from what is important to us and what we feel over to God's way of thinking and what's important to him and what he feels. We have to make that shift. Now, it's a lifelong struggle because culture pulls, our, our desires pull. But we have to make the shift to prioritizing in our lives not what's important to us, but what is important to God, even when we don't understand it. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
Jesus is giving a charge to his disciples. And he had some very specific geographic regions that he used when he tells them where to go and be a witness. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's kind of a, if you think through it, it's, he's speaking to Jewish people. In Jerusalem, you wanna be a witness to people like you to do that in Jerusalem and in Judea. There's people around you that aren't like you. You need to make sure that you're a witness to them. And in Samaria, what kind of people lived in Samaria? Samaritans. He was quick and clear to include the people they thought were horrible people because they had uh, intermingled with the Assyrians. And here they are generations later still being mistreated. And Jesus said, you be a witness to them too and to the ends of the earth. So people around you, serve them. People around you and not like you, serve them. People you don't like, serve them. And in case that doesn't cover everybody, let's just go on to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus did not give them a list or a boundary. There were no boundaries in Acts chapter one. It was everybody, it's the world. So they might live down the street, they might live across town, they might live around the world. They might be your friends, they might be your enemies, they might be just like you, they may have a completely different worldview and way of living that you do, but Jesus says, serve them. And here's what we can learn from that story. There is no one who is not my neighbor, nobody. Think of the people you like the least right now. You can't stand them. They're your neighbor and they're worthy of you serving them. If they have a need, then you're a neighbor. Compassion and mercy don't have boundaries. They require us to do what the Samaritan did. You know, it says he, he put the guy on his donkey, which means he had to, had to get off his donkey. So he had to get off his donkey and go serve. That's what we gotta do sometimes. Get off our donkeys and go serve. So the next time you see an opportunity to serve, think, is it time for me to get off my donkey and go help and go serve? Now, what if they're living far from God? They might be. But maybe serving them helps them take a step closer to God. See, that's our caution when we, we'll speak words of truth and we need to speak words of truth. We'll stand up for what's right and we need to stand up for what's right. But just like the apostle Paul said, be careful because when you get that knowledge, it will puff you up and you'll neglect the love which builds people up. And love's not approval, love's not affirmation. Love is serving somebody in the name of Jesus no matter who they are, no matter what they do. And you exclude no one from that, whether you like them or not, like what they do or not, it doesn't matter, you serve them. And so that's our caution as we learn truth and speak truth and live truth from a biblical worldview is that we don't allow the knowledge of that, that we're on the side of right and good to puff us up so much that we don't love the people who desperately need the love of God in their life. See, when someone is in need, you help them. The Samaritan didn't go over and say, hey, what's your view on eschatology? I need to know. Are you Calvinist or Arminian? Because that's a big difference of how you got there. So he didn't ask him questions like that. 
He just served him because he had a need. When somebody has a need, we serve. When somebody's caught in sin, we lovingly confront. We're not talking about sin. We're talking about serving. There's a time to confront sin and to stand up for what's right and tell someone to leave their life of sin and help confront them about their sin. But there's also a time to just serve somebody because they are, because they are made in the image of God and we serve them. And that's why. The Samaritan did not seem to struggle with helping. He didn't think, uh, God probably might take advantage of me. I went to a, a large inner city ministry one time and they uh, served a meal to people on a Sunday. And I was going to kind of look at it and to see what they did. They served a meal, but first, and they could take a shower, but first they had to listen to a sermon. So I sat there and I listened to the sermon. I was like, it wasn't even that good. Like, and you're making people listen to this where they can eat. Now they probably figured out that, okay, if people sit here for 30 minutes, I mean, I'm, I'm not doubting their methods. Well, I guess I am, but I'm not, I'm not doubting their motives. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not doubting their motives, but to say you can have a meal in a hot shower, but first let me preach to you. And now the sermon was about God's love and acceptance and grace, and it wasn't anything that, that would push people away, but it's really hard to hear the love of God when your stomach's empty or when you stink, you hadn't had a shower. So I would have, and maybe that's, in Donnie's opinion, I would have just reversed the day. Here's your meal and here's your shower. Now let me talk to you about Jesus. That's the way I would have done it. And they did it a lot longer than me and made a huge impact on the world. But it seems a little out of order. Because to share the love of Jesus, we must be willing first to serve in the name of Jesus. Using the Samaritan was ideal because Jesus told this story so we would know just who our neighbor is. And he identified that as everyone. He meets everybody where they are, including you. He forgives us and sets us free from our sin. That invitation is open to every single human being. Now, how do we apply this call to serve by Jesus? If we're gonna follow Jesus, then we need to serve in the name of Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, we've done, you've done a great job at that. You've done a great job uh, at giving in a way that helps the community be served. We, our, our big partnership is with the Raleigh Dream Center and a couple of other ministries, and you could serve any day with any of those ministries. You just take the Raleigh Dream Center, for example. Uh, you could just go on their website right now, take your family and serve, take your group and serve, take a group of friends and serve. Just, it just tells you what they need and just go do it. Because we thought about months ago when we were looking at this series, we thought, let's do a big serve day. We get everybody together on a Saturday and everybody serves. And while those are good and exciting, nothing matches and nothing becomes as sustainable as you develop a regular rhythm in your life at looking out for needs around you and just individually or as a family or as a group responding and serving. So what if instead of us having a big day where we go, hey, we want, we want the news to show up. So they'll tell people, Devoted City Church is out here serving in our city. And that's great. That's, that's good press if they did that. 
But how much more effective would it be if every person who's hearing this or watching this says, you know what, I'm gonna serve. People might know, people might never know, but that's not why we serve anyway. I'm just gonna develop a regular rhythm in my life of serving those in need. What if you just did that all on your own? Another ministry we partner with is Tri-Area Food Ministries. We do an adoption and foster care ministry. And then the biggest ministry are the people in your neighborhood where you can look out and see who needs to, serve, who needs to be served. So as we get opportunities for, for you to serve, we'd like for everybody to join this mailing list. So text city to that number on the screen. Anytime today, we'll put this back up at the end of the service too. But text city to that number and you'll start to get some information about serving because I ran through some of the uh, people we serve with. There are plenty of other opportunities. And when we find there's opportunities, we'll share that with you. And if we do have a big serve day, that's how you would find out about it. See, one of our values is city serving. And that means that we wanna serve our city in such a way that there's no doubt that Devoted City Church and the people who make it up, there's no doubt that we love the city around us and the people around us. And so go and do that. Let's say this out loud together. God, give me eyes to see those in need around me. Let's pray. God, we truly ask you to do that. Give us eyes to see those who are in need around us. God, whether that's our neighbor next door, whether that's somebody where we shop or somebody where we work or go to school, open our eyes to see that. And God, before we know what someone believes or how they live, let us lead with serving. Let us lead with a conversation or acts of service that let people know, although they may not agree, they can't deny that we're serving out of our love for you. God, let us see everyone as our neighbor as we serve them in the name of Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Devoted City Church podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.